Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 78. Happy holidays, everybody. It's a fun time of year when we think big picture at the end of the year of how things have gone in 2018 and our hopes and dreams and warm, fuzzy thoughts and vibes for the holiday season and the year ahead. And one of my to-do list items that has been long neglected, quite frankly, on this podcast all year long was to finally tackle the topic of ageism as it meets sexism. You know, we talk a lot about intersectionality on this podcast because it is so important to look at how different biases intersect and impact women's experiences of sexism layered on top of other kinds of bias. And while I talk a lot about racism and sexism, because in some ways they're the most overt examples of the need for intersectionality, I have been speaking with a ton of women about ageism at work, ageism in the application process, and we haven't had a chance to really talk about it on this podcast just yet, which is why I'm so excited about today's show, which was inspired by a question about ageism that isn't the kind you might be thinking about. Here's what our caller had to say. Hey, this is Bethany, and I'm calling from Waco, Texas. I'm a senior at a small Baptist university here in the South, and I'm just finishing up the process of applying and interviewing for clinical psychology graduate programs. And I forget the statistic, but these places are so many times harder to get into than medical schools, which are impossible as is. And on top of that, while women studying psychology outnumber guys about three to one, men are still outnumbering women in these academia positions as faculty and associate faculty. I am wanting to go into academia, so this is a really distressing thing for me to hear. Also, I've read that it takes women an average of a year longer to achieve tenure than men in these positions. Again, distressing to hear as someone who wants to go into an academic position and who is kind of interested in having a female mentor when there's many less than men. So I felt like I had a harder time getting interviews from men anyway, even though there's so many more of them. I guess my question is, how can you make yourself marketable as a 22-year-old woman? And how you shake that perception of the silly sorority girl and emphasize yourself as a young professional? I feel like there's only so much you can do in the interview to make yourself appear very professional and mature, but I feel like I'm fighting my appearance and my young face, and I feel like I'm going to be fighting it for a while, and then when I'm older, I'm going to be fighting a whole slew of other issues, but I mean, at least at that point, I'll have a PhD (laughs) and some experience to help me out. But before we dive into today's highly anticipated episode, which I'm really excited about, I want to make sure you saw that the Bossed Up Planner, the Life Tracker Planner, 
is still available for pre-sale on bossedup.org. It's our most popular item of the year. It's going to go quick. So if you haven't picked up your copy or a copy for your friend just yet, make sure you do so now before we sell out. It's the best way to guarantee you're hitting the ground running for 2019, which is just around the corner now. Please note that this is a pre-sale, which means they won't ship until they're in my office, which is going to happen around mid to late December. So it's very likely these won't make it in time for under the Christmas tree. But we're doing everything we can to make sure they're in your hands before the new year. So if you are ready for the planner that is designed based on behavioral psychology and cognitive science, and really designed for mitigating the unique ways in which women struggle with goal overload, the Bossed Up Planner is for you. The Life Checker Planner is $44.99 and ships for free in the continental United States. So get your hands on one now. Choose from one of three awesome, beautiful Bossed Up covers for 2019, and you will be joining a club of women who lift as we climb and who hold each other accountable to making what's most important to us the top priorities for our new year. And now to help me break this very complicated question down and really help all of us better understand the many forms that ageism takes, especially at work, but really in our everyday lives, I am so excited and honored to be joined by writer and activist Ashton Applewhite. She's been recognized by the New York Times, NPR, and the New Yorker magazine as an expert on ageism. She's the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism, and a call to wake up to age bias in and around us. Ashton writes at her blog, thischairrocks.com, and is also written for Harper's, Playboy, and the New York Times. And she's the voice behind the popular Tumblr blog, Yo, Is This Ageist? Ashton speaks widely at venues that have ranged from universities and community centers to the United Nations, where she delivered a keynote in 2016 calling for a UN convention on the rights of older people. In the spring of 2017, she received a standing ovation from the TED main stage for her appeal to recognize ageism as a global human rights issue. And let me tell you, that TED Talk is absolutely worth checking out, so I'm linking to it in the show notes below. Ashton's a leading spokesperson for the emerging movement to mobilize against discrimination on the basis of age, and we are so excited to have her here with me today. Thanks so much for being here, Ashton. My pleasure. So we've got a pretty big question here from Bethany, one that made me chuckle a little bit because she alluded to the irony within her own question there, which is women are only seen as too young until we are seen as too old. And I am so grateful to have someone like you on the podcast today who's really done a lot of work in this intersectional area where sexism and ageism meet. So can you tell us a little bit about what got you into this subject matter to begin with and what have you found over the recent years? Let me give you a bit of a long answer, but it explains how you have hit at the, I would call it a sweet spot if it weren't so ugly. Mm -hmm where ageism and sexism combine. My first serious book was called Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well. And I'm going to say something ageist. I bet most of your listeners are too young to know who Phyllis Schlafly was, but she was the evil woman who pretty much single-handedly derailed the Equal Rights Amendment for women. And this book put me on Phyllis Schlafly's enemies list. So that's my feminist cred. And I wrote (laughs) that book because I decided I had to end my marriage. 
And my attorney just made a chance comment that more and more of his clients were people like me, meaning women, who decided they didn't have to stick it out. And I just assumed it was, you know, 90% guys dumping their old, ugly, sad, wrinkled wives for cute young Mm. trophy versions. And it's two thirds of divorces in the US have always been initiated by women. Interesting. It's been that way forever. It's not a function of, of the feminist movement or women entering the workforce or anything. That was the catalyst for the whole project. Why don't we know this? Is marriage so terrible? Is life after divorce not so terrible? And that became the bug of a book that I had to write. Interesting. Yeah, right? And 20 years later, I was in my mid-50s. I'm 66 now. And I was afraid of getting older and started to look around. And this same thing happened. I found in five minutes of Googling these data points that I start my TED talk out with still to this day, a decade later, I thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty good. Two and a half percent. That figure has changed since I did the TED talk 18 months ago. It's down from four to two and a half percent of Americans over 65 are in nursing homes. People are happiest at beginnings and ends of their lives. Older people have better rates of mental health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing. Why don't we know this stuff? It's wild. We don't know the things about marriage because if women stay obedient wives and serve the sort of heteronormative, wage-earning, stable, consumerist model, it serves, hello, patriarchy, capitalism, Mm -hmm. and sexism. And if we don't push back against this message that to age is to fail, doubly so for women, you know, then that message comes at us from ageism which is new, in addition to sexism, capitalism, and patriarchy. The society does not want us to know those things because it would challenge a lot of the way things work, a lot of the power structures, and it would cost a lot of people money. Right. There are big political forces with big political interests at stake here, which is why I think your TED Talk, which I watched this morning, is one of the best TED Talks I have ever seen. And I urge my listeners to take a look at it. I'll link to it in the show notes below. Because you're right, you demystify and and remove some of the incorrect myths around aging and how that impacts happiness and wellness and life. And all lifelong. There are people have this misconception that, that aging is just something annoying that happens to old people like your parents. When it happens, you know, from the minute we're born, one of my many pet peeves is the way we substitute aging when we mean older, aging parents, everyone's aging, you know, aging celebrities, well, they're not cryogenically preserved, you know, (laughs) when we really mean older, right? Yeah. And it's funny because like in your TED talk, you said there's an othering that happens when we, you know, make ageist assumptions about people that hinges on an element of denial as though we will we're never 22 or we'll never be 72 and it's a very interesting form of bias because it it throws up this this wall between us and them when we were once them or we will one day hopefully be them yeah i mean all prejudice relies on this mechanism which sociologists right. call othering whether it's other nationality or other you know religion or whatever The bizarre thing about ageism is that that other is our own future older self. So no prejudice makes sense. This is not to, you know, let the other ones off the hook, like somehow they're more more justifiable. (laughs) Sure, sure. But it is especially nutty. And another thing that makes ageism especially nonsensical is that all prejudice is based in stereotyping. And of course, again, all stereotypes are wrong and bogus. But the longer we live, the more different 
from one another we become. Think about, you know, every seven-year-old is unique, but they're a lot more alike than a bunch of 27-year-olds who are much more homogenous than a group of 47-year-olds and so on. So to say anything that old people are X or Y, you know, incompetent or wise yeah. for that matter. A benevolent stereotype is still a stereotype, cannot possibly mm-hmm. ever be true. But the older that person is, the less likely it is to say anything about them. That's true. I think it's interesting how you touched at moments upon in your TED Talk, these stereotypes about millennials mm-hmm. are also a form of ageism. That would be a great place to start. What is ageism? The dictionary definition is stereotyping and discrimination on the basis of age. A sort of broader way to think about it is that we are being ageist any time we make an assumption about what someone is capable of or interested in or reading or sleeping with or whatever on the basis of how old we think they are, whether it's too young or too old. Well, that's such a good reminder that we're all pretty ageist then, right? Because that stuff happens a lot. We're ageist because we're all prejudiced, you know, and we're also ageist because it's, it is the least examined social prejudice. I'd say it's like one of the most socially acceptable forms of prejudice. It it definitely is the most socially acceptable, of course, to, to, which is not to say we don't have a lot of progress to make on a whole bunch of others. I'm fascinated. I'm optimistic. There's a lot of potential for improvement here. Well, the aha moments are really close to the surface. I mean, for example, which relates to the workforce, something like 89 and high 90% of American companies now have mandatory diversity and inclusion workshops. Only single digit percentage includes age as a criterion for diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of people wouldn't include age, but nobody, no matter how old or young you happen to be, says, oh, gee, that's a dumb idea. So I think that hitching age to the intersectionality sled, if you will, is a very small obvious ask. Yeah. It's a maker adjustment that I can be better about too. I think here at Bossed Up, I often get women who email me who say, I'm interested in your weekend program. We have a program called Bossed Up Bootcamp that's about women navigating career transition. And they'll say to me, am I going to be the oldest woman in the room? (gasps) You know, should I come or not? It makes me cringe because I'm like, maybe you might be, but it's totally relevant to you. So and, I and encourage you to join us. Not, not only that, what makes us think, and this is internalized ageism, which is when we, you know, we're bombarded with negative messages about aging from all of us right. from birth. And if you don't stop to question them, they become part of your identity. One of them is, you know, gee, what if I am the oldest person in the room? People won't want me there. Well, you know, maybe there'll be some jerks who won't, but they're never going to be your friends. They're never going to be the people who change the world. Right. (laughs) And most people won't even notice. And some people will be really delighted you're there because they realize that it's diverse. You might learn something from each other. And I feel like we've done a lot at Bossed Up to make sure our marketing materials reflect uh, diversity across race and sexual orientation. I've been called in on that stuff and made adjustments appropriately, but I think the next frontier is really incorporating more age inclusion in everything I do. And it starts with this podcast, right? Like this is a good episode that is a long time coming. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. So I definitely want to talk about older women in the workforce soon. But to Bethany's point, I remember being 21 
being given a very fancy title as a state director on behalf of then newly elected President Barack Obama. And I think I wore turtlenecks for like a year and cut my hair and was really, really desperate for people to think I was older than I actually was. And I can hear that same level of insecurity coming from her. What are your thoughts on what she's up against? My paramount thought is that what Bethany is up against is the exact same thing that a 50-year-old is up against. And it's really, really important for women of all ages to come together, which is why it's so important for you to foster age inclusion and learn from each other. Because uh, here's an example. I worked, I used to work at the Museum of Natural History and there was one woman there who was older than I was and she drank my Kool-Aid, but she came in fuming one weekend because uh, she'd been in the room with a woman who was complaining, you know, whining, whining, whining about turning 30. And I pointed out to her that the same thing that is freaking this 30-year-old out, this millennial out, are the very same forces that were making her upcoming 70th so fraught. All of us girls, um, (laughs) said ironically, but also not, you know, are in this together against ageism and sexism and patriarchy, and we have to join forces. I mean, my goddaughter is doing a postdoc at Stanford and she has taken, she stopped highlighting her hair and she's wearing yep. blank glasses so that she will look more serious to the academic community. It is shocking to have to do that. We're yeah. murdering on the same conversation about whether, you know, women who wear miniskirts are asking to be catcalled. Totally. It's not up to us to change the way we are and we can't change how old we are, even if we could change our wardrobe. It is up to okay. us to change the culture. And that is a huge ask. And I have a lot of thoughts about how to do it. But maybe you want to get back to Bethany. Well, it's tricky because I think Bethany's no matter what we say, she's going to be a little dissatisfied with our (laughs) answers today because we're, we're really saying that it's not on you, Bethany. It's not on you to adjust who you are to make this process any easier. Any more than it's up to you to be thinner or whiter or blonder or anything else. Right. It would almost be copping to the injustice, right? It's a sort of acknowledgement to ageism to try to fake it till you make it. But It's like that older people, men too, get tons of advice about how to get past ageism in the workforce is to doctor your resume so that it leaves off your early accomplishments. That does nothing to challenge the discrimination that makes those behaviors necessary. Why should the fact that I've been getting really good at what I'm doing count against me. And imagine just for a minute, the tremendous, not just the economic cost, but the human cost of being told that because you got really good at something for so long, you are now useless and unwanted. That is horrible. And all this, it's bad for men. And of course, hello, intersectionality. It's worse for women. It's worse again for women of color. It's worse again for poor women of color and so on. One of the ways that I, I feel like we can call out ageism when it feels like it's happening directly to us mm-hmm. is a very assertive question that I encourage women to ask whenever we feel slighted or on the receiving end of a joke that's not very funny or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And, you know, maybe this might be of support to you, Bethany, when you're in the interview process. If they say something that alludes to your youth in a negative way, you might just put it back on them by saying, why do you feel that way? Just asking a question to explain. That's an answer I give all the time, especially when you can't think of the snappy answer. You know, why would you call me young lady? Right. Why would you think that? As you just said, 
And it puts, if you can say it in a neutral way, which you would in a job interview, because it's not where you want to bring out the snark. Sure. It, it forces that moment of reflection on them and yes. it helps you not be on the defensive because exactly. why should you be defensive about being the age you are? Right. And honestly, at the end of the day, like we can reward the workplaces that aren't making us feel othered in that way with mm-hmm. our time and energy and effort and employment. So Bethany, it's not an easy road to climb, but it, it is one of those roads that gets challenging again later on in life because Right now I'm 31 and I really feel like it's the first time in my life I'm not being judged as too young. Although it just happened to me last weekend. Someone said, I have to ask you, how old are you? Because I need to know this information about you to make an assessment of some kind. And it's just an uncomfortable question. Well, I would say ask the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, everything in this arena is double-edged, you know, Bethany, like everywhere else in life. I think it's really important to say how old you are because all too often not saying it, especially once you're over, uh uh-oh, over the hill like you. Yeah. You know, it seems like we want to be taken for younger, which is a problem. But it's also important, I think, to say, I'm happy to tell you how old I am, but I want in return you to tell me why you think you needed to know or what changed in your mind once you had a number. I would like newspaper stories not to include age. I would like dating services not to include age. Uh. I would like medical records not to include age. I'm being a little provocative. I mean, it can be there on page six. You know, it can be the first question you ask uh, on an online, you know, in a chat. I don't think it should be hidden. But imagine if we didn't have that filter. Yeah, people would be confused. And you know what? That confusion, just like confusion around gender or around questions about what I'm good at or what I'm not, is a really good thing. So I was recently hiking a volcano in Mexico with my my father-in-law and our guide. I was the translator for our family, but this guide we were with could speak very good English. And we were hiking up this mountain and I heard him mention it in passing, but nobody really caught on until later when he kept saying, you know, just the other day there was this guy here. You should have seen him. He was old. He was 65 years old. And he hiked this mountain that we're hiking now like it was no big deal. And he really, really impressed me. Meanwhile, my father-in-law is 72, pushing 73. And he just looks at him like, yeah, I'm really impressed with your guy, your old 65-year-old guy story. But the guide at that point asked him, oh, wait, how old are you? And he said, I'm 72. And at that point, It was like a moment of awakening because no 65 years looks the same amongst different people and different people's lifestyles. And the judgments that we make about that has very little to do with the number as opposed to the lifestyle and the health beyond it. Absolutely. We, We all age at different rates physically, cognitively, and socially. Yes. Interesting. I was really surprised to hear you say that most adults have almost total mental faculties about them until the day they die. That was part of your TED Talk, right? Yes. About 20% of older people escape any kind of cognitive decline. And think about it. We all know some of those incredibly sharp 90-year-olds, right? Right. Most of us will lose some 
of the processing capacity, especially that the short-term memory that enables you to remember the name of the movie that you saw with what's her name last week. I've already but, got some of that coming on. Well, yeah. Hello. I am. I mean, this is an example of how I too am ageist still all the time. But every time I not every time, but you know, when a younger person can't remember the name of the movie, I'm like, aha, see, younger people can't remember shit either, which is ageist of me. But Fuck you know, you. there are two points to that. One is that most of us don't lose anything else. Right. And maybe you use more post-its or it takes you longer to find your slippers, but you find your slippers. If you right. need to learn something, if I need to master nuclear physics in order to feed my kids, I'd master nuclear physics because it would be really important to me. And one theory about the reason that older people take longer sometimes to come up with an answer or whatever is comes from, and this was, these were data scientists in Germany who were looking for this. They were not looking for happy news about getting older is because there is more data in our brains to sift through. Interesting. And one analysis of that, you know, is that older people often come to more reasoned decisions because we do have more data, more data points to draw on. Right. So what does that look like in terms of making the case for yourself if you're a 60-year-old, let's say, who is navigating a career transition, looking to get a new job in a new place? What is she up against? And how does she make that case? One, it's super, super important. And I, I bordered on it in my last question, never to frame these things as old versus young. Older people right. do not make better decisions than younger people. It depends on the arena. It's never zero sum. The best workforce is, hello, one that is age diverse as well as diverse in other ways because, you know, I was talking to a, a friend who was saying, you know, he was in a meeting and this is a little bit cliched, but the younger um, people with less experience were throwing out all these wacky ideas and he's like, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work mentally. But then he hadn't thought of some of them, you know, which is not to say old people just think of the same old things and the young people right. do all the creative stuff. But there's lots of studies that show that, especially in creative endeavors, mixed teams are more effective. Yes. So for someone who is looking for work, there are 10,000 sites about boomer reinvention to tell you how to do this from a tactical point of view. I would say own your age, be proud of who you are, and come in without being apologetic about it yes. and point out what you can bring to it. I mean, it's, you know, all the cliches are true. You know, don't wear a bell bottoms as if you know, well, baby boomers had bell bottoms in their closets. You know, don't blame stuff on your age that might not be age. Yeah. You do need to keep your, you know, social media skills up to par. You know, the first time I had to do an interview on Zoomcast or I'm like, ah, I'm not proud to admit this, but I'm like, ah, what if I can't figure it out? And then guess what? I right. figured it out, you know, because right. it's important to me. It's important to my work. Right. So I learned it. I love that. This idea of seeing yourself as always capable of learning and growing, don't sell yourself short in your own head, don't apologize while you're in the interview, all of that applies to a super young employee as well. And let's not forget, I mean, I feel incredible, you know, solidarity with your caller because discrimination against women in the workplace starts at 34. That's wow. when studies show that managers stop promoting women into yeah. managerial because you know why? Breaking news, you, you have a uterus. <laughs> And yeah. as we know, if your uterus kicks in, there goes your brain function. Right. <laughs> so, and I could make an analogy, you know, to menopause. Uh-oh, you know, now you don't right. menstruate anymore. There goes your desirability, your interest in having sex, or your value as a member of yeah. social and sexual sphere. I beg to differ. But, you know, we, we can't let our biology determine yeah. this stuff. We cannot. And we, olders and younger women, need to join forces against this shit. Totally. Have you seen Amy Schumer's skit called The Last F 
remarkable day. Oh my God. It's hilarious. It's been around for a long time. And it has, it obviously is very specific to women who are in acting and have to get cast into, you know, believable roles. But in some ways, when we're all interviewing for jobs, it's about believability. Can I believe? And you are being, you are being cast. Yeah. You're being cast into a role. Can I believe that you are capable of doing the things that this role requires? Even if who is sitting across from me at the interview doesn't look like who I had in mind for this role. And why are we still being judged by our appearance? I'd love to hear what you think of this, because when I was very young and was applying and interviewing for not not ancient like you are now. Yeah, not my ancient (laughs) 31 year old self. But I'm talking 10 years ago, 21, feeling just like Bethany was feeling when I was interviewing for that state director job. I did name my weakness by saying this. I realize that what I'm lacking in experience, I will make up for in enthusiasm and energy and commitment. And if given the chance, I won't let you down. You know, so it was sort of this Mm -hmm. little acknowledgement that my resume is short, but immediately followed by here's where my strengths are. And I wonder if there's a place for that the only, I mean, I think it's fine that you did that. And obviously you got the job, so it worked. A little bit of me hears that as a bit of an apology. And yeah. I did a consciousness raising group for women. And one thing that emerged that was, of course, as these things often are uh, utterly unexpected, was how often we women say we're sorry. Right. When, you know, why should you be sorry that at 21, you haven't had the time, just like Bethany, you know, how, how the hell is she supposed to get a PhD without, you know, <laughs> climbing up the ladder? How are you supposed to get yeah. a job before you have a job, you know, which all every single human being has to work their way through that paradox. That's just life, of course. But you know, the fact that you don't have experience, actually, it's just a fact, it's not even a drawback. But I think you did a great job. It's really hard to think of those things on the spot. Well, it's a good reminder that we all could practice this stuff. Even if you've been through 100 interviews already in your career, it's worth practicing yeah. uh, to make sure we're comfortable with what we are going to say. You know, and in, in terms of the older woman piece of it, I have learned to be really, really not judgmental. These are powerful cultural forces. I mean, suppose Bethany's yeah. des- deepest desire was to be a cocktail waitress and she decided to get right. breast implants and, you know, bleach right. her hair. You got to do what you got to do. I had a woman and, and no judgment. I swear we all yeah. operate in the system. We're continuing for yeah. the most part to look and act young, quote unquote, continues to buy right. us access to stuff that is valuable. The problem is, of course, that by doing this, we are reinforcing sexism, ageism, lookism, and leaving those of us who were never visible to start with or don't have the access even to the privilege that we're drawing upon in these situations completely out of the picture. Yes, that is a term. When you said the word invisible, you reminded me of the term that I've seen come up again and again when reading about ageism in society writ large, is that older women said and reported, I start to feel invisible. I start to feel like nobody's talking to me. And that just broke my heart when I read that and made me question who I'm talking to in the grocery store, you know, and like, are we all ignoring older women in society? How is that happening? How does that emerge? It's a super complicated discourse because I think it's deeply problematic to accuse people, especially people, you know, sort of 
lower on the power food chain of being complicit in their own marginalization. Right. But when we women, especially in this narrow construct, uh, compete to stay young, right, or even when we dye our hair just to cover the gray, we make ourselves invisible as older women. And so when a group is invisible, so are the issues oh. that affect us, right? If, I mean, I had this fantasy that I could I wave a magic wand and every gray hair was gray for a day. It would be two thirds or three quarters of the world. And the world would see instantly, including ourselves, because a lot right. of this is internalized, right? How many of us there are and how beautiful right. we are. And men too, right? You know, and that would be right. transformative. But when I put this idea up on Facebook, I got a ton of blowback because women say, don't tell me what to do with my damn hair. And they're right. They are right. right. I was out of line. I mean, I had a woman come up to me and say, you don't get it. If I didn't dye my hair, my boss would see how old I am. I would get fired and I have children to support. And I wish yeah. that what she said wasn't probably true, but it probably was true. We all make the deals we make, <laughs> but we need to think deeply at yeah. a radical level about challenging the power structures that we reinforce when we do engage in these behaviors, because nothing fundamental is going to change unless we rise up older yeah. and younger together, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I am always tap dancing on that tightrope myself we when I give are. advice on this stuff. And what I say is we got to play the cards we've been dealt while we change the game because the system is unjust. But if you got to play those cards and you got to dye your hair to keep your job and get, keep your roof over your head, you do you, yep, you know, yep. whatever it is you got to do. But so, think about there's a chilling quote in my book by Cynthia Rich. It was the first woman to write with her partner, um, Barbara McDonald, uh, a book about the intersection of ageism and sexism called Look Me in the Eye, Old Woman. And she says, younger women maintain power by distancing themselves from older women. Oh. I mean, I know older women who maybe don't want a younger woman at the table because it'll make them look old, right? So we Ooh, individually, yeah. you and I, have to, if you're at a party, don't assume, I mean, uh, speaking, you know, to the old, all the older people who aren't listening to this, but, you know, don't assume that the group of younger people in <laughs> yeah. the corner are going to flinch when you go over and talk to them. Don't stay home right. just because you'll stick out. And in this narrow social sense, you youngers have more social capital. So be generous. Yeah. In the workforce, older women tend to have more social capital because we have more experience. Be generous. Be nice. Mentor. Yeah. And, you know, be vulnerable. And be, you know, support each other. Yeah. And be together, whatever that means. You know, we always say lift as we climb because we are all on a hustle. We're all trying to better ourselves and our careers, but we don't get there alone. So we can team up and be part of the same movement. And don't fall into the trap. It's very easy to think, you know, oh, great. Well, they only have two women, you know, on this committee or at this company. And here's, you know, there's that cute chick sitting on the bench next to me interviewing with me. It's right. me against her. No. It's the two of you against the company because they right. should have more than two women in the damn management. Yeah. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, but I think it's interesting to look at it layered over with age and how women need allies Absolutely. of different age groups. And the same is true for young women to cultivate those relationships actively. Yeah. I mean, I, I there's a consciousness raising guide on my website, which is a free download called Who Me Ageist, because as you alluded right. to, the first step counterintuitively, instead of doing the human thing of like, oh, I'm not ageist, I'm not prejudiced that way, 
is to look for right. evidence of the ways in which we are, which we all are, because you can't challenge bias until you're yeah. aware of it. And I'm working on one for women on aging while female, because I think that'll awesome. be super useful. And one of the things I want to do, which may or may not be the same thing, but I'm putting this idea out there. And if anyone wants to work on this, wants to develop one, send it to me. Another thing I did was just launch a clearinghouse of free vetted anti-ageism resources, always looking for good new material has to focus on ageism, but at the intersection of ageism and sexism would obviously qualify. And I want to call it, you will look like us. Because I want to look this look business right in the eye and say, why should our damn appearance still be the thing that we are being judged by? Who says wrinkles are ugly? Right. You know, what's that about? And who says that a young woman, you know, has to be reduced to bimbo dumb? Right. I love this. Oh my gosh. I am so excited. Keep me up to date on all of that because we're going to absolutely drop that consciousness raising guide link in today's show notes. And I'd love to keep in touch with the the look component because I think there are lots of more conversations we want to have here on the Boss Up podcast about appearance at work that I'm currently working on. But Ashton, this has been such a delight. I'm not surprised because the minute I saw your TED talk, I was like, oh my gosh, we're one in the same. Like I, I see you, I want to be you and I like where this conversation is going. I mean, you're young enough. You are, in fact, uh, my daughter, I guess is a year or two older than you, but you know, Age is such a lousy, this whole idea of, of a generational divide is completely bogus. You know, yeah. what we're interested in is, has so much more affinity right. than the number of years that separate us if you have an open mind. And it's, I mean, class is a much bigger barrier to cross and race often is too. But age is a dumb, dumb, dumb divide. You can learn more about Ashton and her excellent work at her website, thischairrocks.com. And all those downloadables and everything we talked about during the interview is linked to in the show notes below. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, my name is Emily. I live in California. I'm calling because I had a big move. Personally, I've dealt with being a bit of a people pleaser all my life, and I was overworked and just being asked to do too many roles, not being credit for all the roles I was given just because people all couldn't see the places I was going to. And finally this week, I decided I had enough, and I approached my boss and said, hey, I thank you for all these opportunities, but I want to keep doing just this one role, just this one job. And they were like, perfect, fine, and it happened. And it wasn't nearly as big or as frightening as my people-pleasing self left it be. Get it, boss? Yes, we are so excited to be cheering you on. This is a time of year to celebrate one another, to celebrate the progress you've made in your life and your career this year, and to celebrate yourself a little bit by calling in and sharing your boss move too. You can call our podcast hotline right now to do just that or to leave a voicemail for a career conundrum you want me to tackle in the new year. Our number is 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And now it's my turn for a moment of gratitude for this week's featured iTunes review. This one comes in from a user named Raising Women Up. And she wrote, I stumbled on a boss stop while at the gym, came up as a recommended podcast based on the other podcasts I've listened to while working out. 
had to stop and write a review now because your messages empower women and I love it. I feel strongly that women together supporting one another builds the confidence for us to continue to make sure our voices are heard. Together, we will continue to close the wage gap and climb to the top of companies. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Raising Women Up. I'm so pumped to hear that you had to stop pumping iron at the gym to write this review. I feel like that means I'm doing something right here. And the guests I have on the show just provide such inspiration and actionable advice like today's episode with Ashton. I really hope we continue to lift as we climb and to provide kick-ass career advice that keeps it real, and is inspired by your listener career conundrums each and every week in the new year as well. So thanks so much for writing in. Whenever you rate us in iTunes, which is super easy to do in the app, if you're listening, just scroll down to leave your stars and then add a comment. Or if you're listening on your computer, you can do the same in iTunes uh, as well. But I know it takes a minute to do. Sometimes it might even have to interrupt your day, but it's how we raise consciousness on this stuff together and how we can spread the word about Bossed Up. So I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to do that. And for all of those of you who've left us a review this year, it really makes a big difference and helps our show grow. All right, boss, I want to hear from you. How did you enjoy my conversation with Ashton? Did you check out her TED Talk? If so, I'd love to know what you think. And have you ever faced moments of ageism at work or everyday ageism that makes you feel a little uh, slighted, a little held back, a little judged in a way you didn't like? What did you do about it? And if you're anything like me, I'm really trying to be less ageist because I think it's almost socially acceptable to say some really ageist stuff on occasion, which I am guilty of for sure. I'd love to hear how you are catching yourself saying ageist things or trying to combat ageist beliefs and how we can all do the same. So I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. Tag me in Instagram or on Twitter, or on Facebook at Emily Aries and Bossed Up Org. Or as always, you can leave a comment at the bottom of our show's blog post today at bossedup.org slash episode 78. In the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are 
owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 